Hey, Brock, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm just uh, reading through some of the uh, pretty nice comments on that James Bond video. But uh, people, I, I definitely need to fix my cumberbund pronunciation in the future. Yeah, I saw a few comments that were uh, correcting you on, what was the other one? Garbadine. Garbadine, that's right, yeah. Which I don't I don't think, for some reason, I always saw that in my head as spelled the way that you were pronouncing it. So Okay, I'm, I'm good that I don't feel that crazy then, because I actually recorded, so when I did that video, I recorded three voiceovers for like the next three videos, and in the second video, there's a whole passage where Matt talks about uh, gabardine suits, and I, I said garbadine every time, and I had to go back and record that whole passage again after I realized in the final edit that that was wrong, but I didn't fix it on the first one. So um, Matt said that he doesn't blame me for some of the pronunciations. He thinks that's my Pennsylvania accent, and he said that I kind of sound like Jimmy Stewart. And so, like, I'll take Jimmy Stewart. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the writing was was so good. I mean, he man, he really knows his stuff. Yeah, he has 800 posts on his site. And so there's like a treasure trove of stuff to be converted into video. And I know he, he seems to have really liked the process of uh, translating. So the the thing – so I reached out to him back in like February and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I really like the site. And the, the, the post that did it that day was he, he wrote a post about why James Bond still wears a tie. And he talks about how – you know, James Bond represents Western civilization. The villains typically represent anti-Western civilization, which is why he wears a tie and they don't. And then he compares that to um, British uh, influence on the Western world or, or on the entire world. And I love the post. And I was like, this would make a great video. Um, and then I, I even said, like, you know, you can record the voiceover. I'll pull the content together. I can post it on the channel, credit back the site. And it really turned into, like, I take his post. I modify the post slightly to make it flow well as a video and then I pull together all the video clips um, and then he just kind of like directs to make sure because like there's a couple of things where I mentioned a suit but I mentioned like a Brioni suit but it was really a Tom Ford suit and so I had to like change some of the footage around and so having him as like the subject matter expert is so great because I couldn't write that stuff but I like compiling the video clips it's a really great match yeah it does seem like a really good fit because he he's like super super detail oriented obviously knows his stuff and uh I don't know the script was just very easy to digest even though it was like there was a lot in there you know um and then you know you you did a, a good job with the voiceover and uh and obviously getting all those clips together which that must take it seems like that must take forever yeah, so the th the third video that we did in the series is it's the seven coolest suits in the in in the film franchise, and that's the one where like not only did I hit my stride in recording the voiceover and doing the translation, but the post is suits itself perfectly for that type of video, and that one took me about six total hours to do. So the the script, the voiceover, and then pulling the clips together. The first video was about. 13 hours and then the second video uh, I did those kind of in parallel and so that one was just about 10 hours or so and now I'm working on I've got three more that are like partially done but it takes you know it's 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 about where the Jim Halpert video was Jim the Jim Halpert video I think took me 18 hours in total and so um, I've I've found now that I can kind of bulk them together so that as I'm looking for clips I can 
you know, pull them in for two videos. And so I'm trying to find some of the efficiencies there. But I really like scrubbing through the Bond films now. Um, like I find it to be like, I'm like, okay, looking for this suit, looking for that suit. And like I find little clips. And so that's one of the more enjoyable uh, series I've worked on. Yeah, that's cool. And it seems like it did well too, that that first one. I had high hopes for it, but I had no expectation that it would do as well as it did. I think now, five days later, it's sitting at 30,000 views, which is like considerably more than any video, any single video that I've put up, especially in this first um, phase. Like I've got videos that do well over time, uh, but I had a really good feeling about it. And so I actually have a really good feeling about the third one. The second in the series is about his socks, and it was, it's a little bit more complex to, to talk about in video form, especially because... I realized during that they don't show Bond socks a lot. And so it's really easy to put a couple of screenshots on a post, but the video was a little bit more challenging. Um, but I think we're going to post on Saturdays for at least the next four or five weeks. Nice. Yeah, that'd be cool because I think the if you watch one of them and there's like another one pops up at the end, either in the suggested or, or in the um, end cards, I think that, I mean, I would definitely want to watch another one, you know, because if you're interested in James Bond, you're probably interested in more um, but it is tough with that with that format of video where it's voiceover B-roll because you need so much B-roll or, like, so many clips to fill that space because you don't have any, like, talking head portion of it, you know? Yeah, and it's also a, a weird mix. Like, when like you and I talk about the algorithm a lot is, like, I could post five of them. I could post one every day in a week, but would that really be the best way to get them out? Should I let them post and then kind of let the um, let the – viewers catch it and then post one later on and so the weekly thing i think will work well but yeah the b-roll is a big one in the second one i have a there's a voiceover passage I'm, I'm so excited about this i can't remember if i told you about this but i listened to the podcast james bonding it's it's in that in the like non-business side of things it's one of my favorite podcasts and i've listened to it for like i don't know six years however long it's been going on so he does this like comedic impersonation of ian fleming in this like old-timey uh british accent and I messaged him and I said, hey, I'm working on this thing with Matt Spazer, the Susie James Bond. Would you do a voiceover for this passage? And he, he messaged me back within like an hour with oh, a voiceover. Like impersonation? And that's in that video. Or, yeah. And like that was – I was so excited to get that. And so I'm really excited to put that one up tomorrow. Or actually the, the podcast will come out Wednesday. So it will have been up this past week. Nice. Yeah, I like it. I like the new format. It's cool to see that people are responding to it too. Yeah. So I, get, I still have a bunch of stuff. I mean I'm not – Strain away. That'll be one of the uh, the pillars in my content formats, and so you know, stick with roundups and unboxings. But to have to have that, I also want to. I'm working on a um, a hair tutorial for Jim Halpert, and I'm working with um, Mike Burr Burr. I don't, I'm not sure Mike B, um, who does the cosplay uh, channel, and so I'm working with him on like which products I should use, the blow dryer. I, th I can't remember if I mentioned that last time, but. Uh, yeah, I'm trying some new stuff. I get a lot of ideas. I've always had a lot of ideas, but now I'm trying to like actually make some of them happen. Very nice. Yeah, and then I saw your uh, other recent video about trousers without belt loops, which um, I'm a huge fan of. I mean, I, I don't think I have any. Uh, I well, I guess some some trousers, but all my suit pants and then most of my odd trousers are all uh, no belt loops, side tabs, and uh, suspender buttons. You know, in case I want to wear those, but. Um, yeah, big fan. I think that's the way to go. Um, and so it was cool to see some options about for where to buy them. Yeah, and I was surprised because one of the f or one of the comments too was, um, can I do a video with under $100? And I really couldn't find any. I mean, the, the, the route to go there is like if you get a pair of 
trousers that fit really well, your tailor can take them off or like you could pop the seams or something there if they fit well. Um, but it is an interesting space where, you know, five years ago you probably couldn't get any, but now there's these smaller companies like Black Lapel and Oliver Wicks and, you know, all these smaller companies that are able to do custom at about 150 or so. And, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that more major brands haven't gone after that because it seems like, well, super functional, but it also seems a little bit trendy right now. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's just more niche, and most most men wouldn't even want that. But I I feel like once you go no belt, it's hard to go back because the belt just feel for me now the belt feels very like bulky and um, unnecessary, you know, and it feels very casual too. Totally, and I I've found myself that linen pair that I have in the video that's like now one of my favorite pairs of pants because you can wear them when it's when it's warm you can wear them I mean I wouldn't wear them in the winter but um, as a pair of pants to like wear to the office I think they're they're super comfortable and it's that like streamlined look I think it's diff you know our, it works really well for our body types we've got you know some pretty uh straight forms and it, it would definitely vary amongst there but I think if you do have the form for it then ditch the belt and don't worry about it and actually in the seer in the current video that I'm working on with Matt, he mentions that um, you know it's easy for like menswear shops to sell pants with belt loops and then sell the belt as an additional like add-on because then it that becomes more sales and margin for the company versus selling a suit without. And we've basically been conditioned to think that suits are incomplete without a belt when in reality it's the other way around and that's more of like a '90s thing. And so I think that's a, an interesting way to look at it too. Yeah, belts must have incredible margins because if you look at a company like Allen Edmonds, you know, maybe you can get a, a pair of shoes for three to four hundred dollars and then a belt's like eighty, ninety dollars. <laughs> and it's so much you know, it's not that much leather. Um, they can probably sometimes use like remnants and stuff, um, odds and ends. And it's it's just such a simple thing, but they're they must have really good margins. Yeah, belts have really good margins, as I've learned in the retail space, but there's also a very clear line between, like, a low-quality belt that you wear a few times and then it, like, wears out where where it either clips in or something, but a high-quality belt can't last you for a long time. So that's one of the things, like, if you want to go buy a nice belt, spend the money for the Allen Edmonds one, because if you buy the $20 or $15 one at, at JCPenney and Macy's, those ones deteriorate really quickly, and I learned that um, as I've been buying more accessories. Yeah, that is so true. Like any any traditional belt with holes, like if, if it's leather, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna experience a lot of wear and tear, um, because because of the way you take it on and off. And if it's like glued or bonded leather, like it's just gonna fall apart. And that's one of those things where it, there is a very clear difference between low or you know low quality and high quality. But you can't necessarily you can't really tell when you just look at them brand new. And I've actually found that. Um, I found a couple incredible belts in thrift stores, like old Coach and um, you know, like, like designer brands when they were when they were still really nice, uh, that are just super soft and like no um, no bending or tearing or like popping open, uh, and you know, for just a few dollars. So I feel like uh, it's definitely worth paying more for for better leather and construction. Oh, I bet I bet you could find some really nice belts, especially where you're at. We've talked about that before. Thrift stores and uh, in Tucson are a little bit different than Pittsburgh in some ways. I guess you got to know where the right place to go is. You got to go to the right neighborhood. Yeah, totally. But it, it does really depend on where you live. Cause I, I never really, I didn't have much luck back when I lived in DC. Uh, but yeah, here, and I don't know if it's because the, the demographics or whatever, but I have found some, some crazy stuff in the thrift stores, especially with accessories like ties and belts. Where do you stand on 
like built the clips itself because one of the things I, I follow Manny on well-built style and I'm in line with him where he talks about you know like if you see a, an Hermé belt with the H on the front or like Gucci belts he's like ditch the designer belts and uh, that's basically where I'm at but I don't know where you fall yeah I don't really like any sort of uh, flair on the belt I, I just like a really actually really thin belt with a kind of smaller thinner buckle that's like very like low key it's actually one of the reasons that like i love the the functionality of the holist belts like uh from like anson or um slide belt or trackliner or one of those companies but um they haven't been able to get that buckle uh into like a smaller and thinner form because the the belt has to slide through it and so it's got to have something on the back and the front so if they could get that functionality into a, a slimmer, um, kind of like shallower buckle, I'd be all about that. Yeah, I'm totally bullish on the slide belts too. I actually end up, I was wearing one for this trip that I was just on and um, the the ease, ease of sliding on and off and the reduction of the wear on it as well. Um, and for the most part now, like I'm pretty happy with the, the core one that I have, core track line. And then I think Anson, they use like a better leather. It's not what you would get from uh from like a higher end belt but you're paying for the functionality of the slide mechanism um actually calvin klein i saw has one that's like a carbon fiber which i'm not crazy about the texture of it but it's an interesting way to get around the fact that it's leather and some of those but uh my wife has been like begging me for a gucci belt i don't i might end up having a gucci belt in my house soon (laughs) well gotta get what she wants (laughs) the nice thing with that is we can like share it but I don't know that hmm. I would wear one. Yeah, it just I don't know. It's just it's it's I guess it's a little loud. But you know, it's 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 the same as having like a luxury watch. You know, it's 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 a bit of a statement. And if people who probably most people won't really recognize it and people who do will, you know, will appreciate it. You're kind of in the club. I know. We were at a uh, at the arts festival last weekend and there was a guy that dad he was like a leather craftsman and his belts were like sixty dollars and uh she was gonna she was gonna get one of those from him because it was really nice. She she just wants like the plain leather Gucci belt. I think she just wants the Gucci symbol. Uh, but we're gonna order a belt from from that guy. He was a local guy. It was pretty cool. Did you see um, the Gentleman's Gazette video on the? He does like an Is It Worth It series, and he did the Gucci horse bit loafers. I did, and what's funny about that is as I was watching it, I was waiting and waiting for him to mention Jay Butler because I was like, I was basically down in the comments like with it a comment typed out like you missed Jay Butler, but he he threw them in at the end because I wear those red suede ones from Jay Butler all the time. They're like one of my favorite shoes. And uh, I I did see that one, and I think he just did one on the Hunter Welly, like the Rain Boots. I like that series that he does. Yeah, it's really cool, super thorough. I haven't watched the Rain Boot ones yet, but but I'm going to watch that. But yeah, I just thought it was um, – because, you know, Raphael, he, does, he doesn't pull punches. <laughs> he tells you what he thinks. Um, and, you know – I guess it was kind of kind of good to hear that like they are high quality, but I I think the the main takeaway for me was that you have these luxury goods that at one point they were what they were because of the craftsmanship and the materials, but now the product page where you're about to spend you know hundreds or thousands of dollars on this this product you can't even find any info about where the leather's from or like how it's constructed, so it's it's just kind of interesting that the brand has kind of admitted almost that it's totally about the status and not at all about the quality 
Yeah, coasting on their success a little bit. It actually, Christian did a video, Theo and Harris, on the, the horse bit loafer just like a week or two ago also. Oh, I got to watch that one. He talks about it in a very similar way. Like, I don't know that he would have watched. Uh, I, I've learned from Christian that he doesn't watch YouTube much uh, at all. But um, he basically says the same thing as like, look, the shoe was designed for a certain purpose. It was built to this incredible quality. But now, you know, because he actually has some vintage ones on his site. And now, like, the leather is different. They source it in a different way. You're still, you're, you know, you're paying for the brand because, you know, with inflation, they used to be like $400. Now they're $600. And so... Um, I don't think he calls that out, but that's been my interest lately is uh, when I work, I'm working on that Rolex video when I charted the inflation and looking at what things cost back then. Man, I don't know. I think you pay for quality. I think that's why you have a Rolex and I have an Omega and, you know, you buy a nice camera. I think you pay for, you get what you pay for in every sense of the word, even back to belts. Look at that full circle. There you go. Wow, we don't do that much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm so, I'm so disparate in all the things i'm thinking about yeah well how so so how's the studio coming i guess it's almost done right yeah so the my uncle or the contractor that was putting everything together finished up uh yesterday so i've i've like taken a, a couple of small things that i can work on that don't take a lot of time and so the last thing i have to do now to like really finish it is i have to uh, paint the exterior of the first floor so the whole first floor is cinder block and i pressure washed it and now i just got to paint the exterior white and then i can start to move in downstairs i actually have to stain the concrete on the first floor too but uh very close to being able to clean up upstairs and putting up my new closet system from brian sakawa and uh it's gonna be really nice to to have it done that's awesome but and you've been shooting in there for a while right yeah i've been up here since like the end of january is when i started to to move my stuff over like january february and so that's what i actually have some footage that I need to put into a video from when I was still shooting in the basement. And it's going to, I think it'll look really close observers will be able to catch like an unboxing from, from the old place. But uh, the problem now is like, I've got all this stuff and so I can't really shoot full, full body yet, but I'm, I'm th almost there. And then I got um, blinds or a curtain that is both sound dampening and um, light, like full blackout in order to put it over this giant window in the front, because most of the echo that I'm getting now, because I have the ballast up on top, but most of the echo I get now is from this giant, I don't even, this is like, it's like eight by eight by 10 feet, this, um, this window in the front. And so I'll have to dampen that and then block out the sun. And then I'll be able to upgrade some of my lighting too. Awesome. Yeah. I, I finally took the step to just black out the window because I have this one huge window. Um, I think it's, I think it's south facing uh and it's it's just really big and um you know it's it's nice because on like an, on, a per, on a on the right day it's like the perfect amount of natural light and i almost don't even need any lights but it's just so unpredictable so i finally just blacked it out and actually blacked it out with a backdrop with a gray backdrop so now i can use that to either do product shots on or stand in front of for outfit shots um so it's kind of a dual purpose and then i got these two new lights so yeah, I kind of, I was trying to make my place like, you know, somewhere where I want to hang out and also really good for shooting, but I kind of ditched the hangout portion of it and just made it good for shooting for now. And, uh, you know, at one point I'll move into a bigger space and hopefully have a little lounge area and then, you know, the more functional shooting area. Yeah, because I think, it, especially when you were first putting video up, when you moved, you had the couch and you had the rug and um, you had like the um, shrub 
thing, whatever, whatever you want to call that, fica, ficus tree, um, and it and it looked really good. But that's what I, I I'm really glad. So initially, I was just going to tear off the roof of this place and just replace the roof, and then I decided to build the second floor. If I would have just stuck with the first floor, it would have been way too. I had to be just as crammed as I am now. So I'm glad I've got the upstairs, which is like my home office studio. And then downstairs, I'm going to have a TV, a couch. I can still like shoot a video down there, a little more casual video, just like a talking, talking head stuff. And then I'll have my clothes. And so, um, yeah, it's still only like 600 feet. So it's not like huge, but I could definitely see that I've like, <laughs> I if I could have went to a third floor, I would do that. I mean, you, you can always use more space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you can do a lot with, with a little bit of space, but yeah, more is usually better with this sort of thing. I remember watching, um, I don't know if you ever watch uh, the YouTube channel Bloom On, uh, Joe. The hair guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're like the YouTube channel and, the, and they have their, their uh, product line. But he, so they, they work, and I don't know if this is their only space, but uh, they do like a little behind the scenes thing. They, they use like um, a WeWork office or like a WeWork type space. And it's tiny and they have this backdrop and, you know, a lot of it is about like what kind of lens you're using and it, it's crazy how, how much you can frame up with it with a very small space. Um, but if you're doing full, if you want to do like full body outfit shots, you, you do need some space. I know that was, I actually bought a different, like I bought like a pancake prime lens for my camera when I was down in the basement to try and get a wider angle shot. But uh, that's my next thing is like, I use the same camera that Casey Neistat used for a while and it just doesn't look nearly as good because he's got those huge lenses lenses and uh he's got really nice glass and so that's probably my next one but oh I didn't we didn't get to talk about your uh your announcement that you you put up that was it was really cool to see you talk through that in a way that um it kind of summarized I think it was just a great way to uh, announce your partnership with Peter Manning. Ah, yes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was putting that up. I was like, hmm, this is like very, this is like perfect for clickbait. Like I could like totally just like, like something I need to tell you, dot, dot, dot. Or like, <laughs> you know, you won't believe this. Or like quitting YouTube. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was joking around with my sister about it. But um, but no, I, I wanted to make it, you know, genuine um, and, you know, but also not too boring because it was kind of a lot of background. But yeah, su super super exciting to finally get the news out and make it public. Um, I'm glad that everybody for the most part was supportive. I you know, definitely had a couple of people that were, I guess, a little concerned, um, which, you know, fair enough, but yeah, it was awesome, man. It got, got pretty good reception. And, um, I was up there, up there in New York last week and had our, kind of my first working trip up there. A lot of fun. Um, it's kind of cool. Cause it's like, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing there, like video stuff, it's it's kind of the same as what I do and what you do on, on YouTube, but there's a team now. So like instead of me being behind the camera in front of the camera, there's someone else behind the camera, someone else in front of the camera, and I'm kind of like directing, like picking out the outfits and like, you know, talking through the script and stuff. So it's it's a whole different um, it's a whole different way to uh, put together content and it's it's actually very enjoyable. I know it seems that way. And what I liked about it too is cuz I think I asked you this, it was almost a year ago. I was like, "What do you think the modest man looks like in 5 years?" And you basically came back to like wanting to do clothing. And so when you got to speak to that in the video that, you know, if you could have your your best laid plans, you would essentially have a clothing line specifically tailored to 
the modest man audience and that's essentially what peter manning is doing and that's totally true like i think about that a lot i think what i equate is like if i were to do a clothing line it would basically be vineyard vines it would be like nice quality stuff slightly higher end pricing i love their styling you know they have some subtle stuff in chinos but like the fact that you were able to partner with peter manning and now not only take what they've built which i know you were a fan of before they ever uh, entertain bringing you on the team but then also to kind of shape that in a way that is because the other thing i don't go all over the place um when we talked to an athletic company when we're, when we're always talking to these like company founders you had said you know these shorts probably won't fit me i wish i could help him like get better fits and like that's just the first thing you think of is like helping the shorter guy and, and tailoring that sort of stuff and so the fact that you now get to leverage that i think is is like an incredible asset for peter manning and then uh that's great for you that you had to build that thing. So I'll just keep saying great things about you. Yeah. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Well, it's, it's really cool. Cause it's, um, the, the, the Peter Manning guys, like I, what they've already achieved is incredible, you know? And it's funny, like I was listening to that, um, that interview you sent over with, uh, that episode of the pitch with the founder of Bluffworks and just kind of listening to like, you know, the numbers and the growth and everything. And, you know, Peter Manning is, is on par with, some of the most impressive like young apparel companies and and they don't really you know they're not they're not on shark tank and stuff like that they could be you know but they're not and and they're they're heads down kind of focusing on work and um but but they're so open to ideas too you know and like i i want to kind of not not change the brand or anything but just like you know i want to put my imprint on there a little bit and obviously like my kind of aesthetic and my um audience skews a little younger maybe you know a little a little more modern and they're totally cool with that like they, that's what they want too you know um because you have to reach you know younger people because your customers get older so um I, I think they're they're just totally open to ideas and and even even just being up there once uh so far for my first trip up there it's it's crazy like what happens in a day at, at, uh, at a small you know kind of up-and-coming um apparel company like we had like designers just pop into the office and be like, Hey, like, here's the prototype of this, of the new, like Harrington jacket. You know, what do you think about this zipper? And we're just kind of standing around like playing with it and trying it on. And, um, it's just, it's just really cool, man. It's a nice, nice change of pace. Definitely. And I saw too, you were responding to the comments on that video. Like people want not, not a lower cost. I mean, people were saying that, you know, some of the stuff's a little bit expensive and, and you can kind of work around that. So I think the fact that, people that are fans of the brand already and fans of the modest man can have a direct line into possibly getting product even more specifically tailored. I think that'll be uh that'll be huge. Totally. Yeah. And the price thing is tough. Cause I obviously want to make, make things, um, attainable, you know, for, for everybody, but it's so hard, man. Cause I, I think people don't realize how people don't really think in margins and as, as they shouldn't, you know, as a customer, you shouldn't really care about, I guess, markup and stuff like that and profit. But, you know, just because you can get something cheaper at H&M, it's, it's like apples and oranges, you know, comparing that to, to a brand like uh, Peter Manning or, or a lot of these direct-to-consumer online-first companies. So it's really tough, you know, to get lower prices and a good product. In fact, I, I say it's, it's, all, it's almost impossible. So you can get, you know, reasonable prices, but they're not going to be if you want a good product, there, you know, it's not going to be for everybody, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's, that was part of my observation when I was traveling to Europe a lot. So when I spent a lot of time in Switzerland, everything there is like more expensive, but a lot of it is made 
by Swiss people in Switzerland. And like that's kind of the the culture over there is like the food's more expensive, but it literally came from the mountain that you're looking at across the street from the restaurant or like the little like wooden toys that I bought for my children are made in a little Swiss workshop like down the road in Zurich. And there's a lot of that like sort of thing, but in the US it's like you know, H&M is, you know, H&M is Swedish, but companies like H&M are very big and Zara and these very low cost providers. And so I think, and, you know, and that's part of what I've been trying to discuss on my channel more as I talk about product is like, I'm fine paying $125 for Miz and Main shirts because they last long. It's less to take care of over the long term and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's really what I try to champion uh, with these brands. And that's why I really don't cover um, H&M or, or some of these lower cost brands. Yeah, and I think it's important to to remember that, you know, Mizzen and Maine, they're not taking advantage of you. You know, they're not exploiting their customers. They're not making a killing off of that shirt purchase. You know, they're of course they have to make a profit and, and they're a company, but um, I think people we've talked about this before, but I think people conflate, you know, expensive with overpriced and Mizzen and Maine is not overpriced, you know, and, and companies like that are not overpriced. So um, yeah, I think that's kinda just how it is if you want good stuff. Yeah, and actually that Bluffworks thing that I sent you. So if, um, for anybody interested, I any, I think most people interested in what we talk about would be interested in this. It's, it's a, a podcast by Gimlet called The Pitch. And the Bluffworks founder actually did their blazer not too long ago. He did. He's raising money right now. And you get to hear how he pitches the company, how he thinks about the company. And the most disheartening part of that pitch was that he said he's going to move production to China on the blazer. And like that's the number one reason I would recommend that blazer over anybody else is because it's made in New York. And so I hope – that he might reconsider um, doing that because I would the blazer is like two ninety five. Even if he kept it in the U.S. and he raised the price to three twenty five, that's not that much for a jacket. But then you can still say it's made in the U.S. And I think I don't know. There's there's always scaling issues. I'm sure there's other reasons he wants to move it. But um, I thought that was that was like my one takeaway from that thing. Other than how incredible a pitch it went, um, I was like, oh man, I don't want him to move the production. Yeah, that is kind of sad. It seems that you know that, that does seem kind of like a common um, progression, you know, where you kind of prototype something locally because you can go visit the factory, you can like, you know, you can be there and get a small batch maybe, but then when you're ready to scale and like get the margins up a little bit, you, you move it overseas. So I don't know if if that's a problem with if that's like a you know a, a built-in kind of like if that's an inherent problem with the state of like us manufacturing right now i know there are companies like you you covered uh, articles of style in your uh trousers with uh without belt loops video and you know like you said other than like full traditional bespoke they're top of the line you know 300 400 for for uh trousers so uh, but they're made in the u.s you know from from the best materials you can find so that's just how much it costs to do that I know. I actually got caught in a Twitter thread where somebody mentioned them and then mentioned me later on. And uh, I don't know if it was Dan or, or somebody on their team, but they said somebody had mentioned about going bespoke in Articles of Style. The account tweeted back and said, if you like, if you don't like our garments more than bespoke, I'll give you your money back. And I'm like, whoa, bold claim. That is a bold claim. Oh, speaking of which, I uh, <laughs> I tried on my, I had my last fitting for the Alan David suit. Finally, this has been a process, man. And, um, it's, it's just beautiful. Like it fits, it fits. I'd say the best made to measure suit I have is from Oliver Wicks. And this is just different. Like in a way that it's like hard to describe it just like next level. It's next level. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm excited. I'm going to do a video about, um, it's kind of like your video actually about comparing the suit brands. So it's going to be like suit supply, which is kind of like a very standard off the rack. So suit supply with tailoring versus Oliver Wicks versus uh, bespoke and just look at the differences. Yeah. Cause it, well, that'll cover you on all the price points, right? Cause suit supply is like 400 bucks with some tailoring. Oliver Wicks is right about there, a little like 500, a little bit more. And then uh, this, I don't even know what a full bespoke suit is. It's like 12, hundred eighteen hundred dollars i have no more? idea how much the suit costs they have oh. <laughs> i know i i gotta ask them because i want to keep that i want to include the price in the video but it all depends because they, they have their you know the, the work involved is the same no matter what fabric you choose so a lot of it just depends on the fabric but i mean it starts at i don't know like up, upper upper th- upper 1000s maybe lower 2000s and then depending on the suit depending on the fabric you get and i <laughs> i picked a nice fabric it's uh it can get pretty expensive, so I'm guessing this is probably around three thousand. But I have to ask them. Well, even the suit supply, like made to measure process, because I did that a little bit when I was doing the shirt. Like those started a thousand dollars, but you can very easily get into the two thousand dollar range with suit supply made to measure suits. Like you're saying, just based on the fabric, and same thing with articles of style. I mean, articles of style, you're basically starting at about a thousand dollars for theirs, and then. Uh, some of their suits go up into the the couple thousand dollars too. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting too, like you, what you're kind of paying for with these companies. Because if you look at Suit Supply, and I, from what I understand about them, they do have like a very streamlined supply chain and stuff. But like it's it you're getting a lot of value, I guess, for the price. But they also do have a ton of showrooms, huge staff, huge marketing budget. Um, and when you go in there, it's like a very slick experience. They have like some really expensive real estate like with uh this company alan david it's like the opposite of all these these modern brands like not standard and indochino like you go in there it's it's like not flashy at all they don't have a bar there's no bourbon um it's like on the seventh floor of some like midtown building uh and it's just they, they they're clearly putting all their money into the product not into marketing not into customer experience so i'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing but i think if if you really want, you know, bang for your buck, that's, that's, that's what I look for in a brand. Yeah. And that, that's partially why I continue to recommend Oliver Wicks to a lot of guys, not only because I've had really good experiences with like customers, um, you know, customer support and everything. I actually have a suit I need to open up right now. I got a linen suit for the summer. I'm like really excited about, but, uh, but yeah, they don't have stores. They have like a, a, when they, when I first ordered from them, like three years ago, they had like a great web, um, platform but it hasn't really developed much beyond there but for them it's like you're picking the fabric they got great fabrics from italy it's made in um in europe it's made in bulgaria and so i think they're one of the the better ones out there but i gotta order a new thing from uh, indochino i haven't ordered from them in a while yeah my my last indochino suit actually turned out really well so it's it, it was surprisingly good um but still not quite as good as my oliver wicks but you know i think with with any of these brands, like it just takes so long to dial it in. And I've, I've spent more time dialing in my profile with Oliver Wicks and I think maybe their house cut kind of their, their baseline fits my build better. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're good stuff. And it's, it's been cool to watch them grow over the years. I can't remember if I've talked about it on here, but the Oliver Wicks has the bond tux, the white dinner jacket with the black tuxedo pants. I've had my eye on that for like forever and i'm so close to pulling the trigger but i just don't want to get it without having something to wear it to i need to get invited to some galas or something mc i know man 
I, th- I thought you were, you're, you're like a jet setter, man. Don't you have any uh, black tie events to go to? No, it's all these retailers that wear flip flops and cargo shorts. It's like, geez. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I'll have a cool announcement on the podcast in August for something I'm working on too. But uh, can't do, can't get into too much of it there. But I just had a, a pretty hectic week between St. Louis, San Francisco, and New York. And so I'll actually be in Boston in New York next week. And so I know we're going to try and line up one of the times you're out in New York and I can get out there so we can do a little bit of a meetup with the Article of Style guys. I think we talked about that last time. And so that's still in the works. But uh, that I don't I don't know if it'll be July. It'll probably be August at this point. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely be there in, I don't even know. I'll probably do like late, late August. Um, and then sometime in early July, but yeah, we'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll do it for my birthday then. When's your birthday? August 26th. August 26th. Cool. Yeah. I think that's a weekend. I can't remember. That is. Yeah. That's a Sunday. Hmm. Hmm. What are you going to be? 26, 27? I don't want to talk about it. No, I think I'll be, uh, I'll turn it 27. Yeah. 27. Okay. Nice. You got your whole life ahead of you. I know. Now that I got two kids, everybody can guess my age really well, because uh, you know, not as not as much as a wonderkind as I used to be. But we'll see. Wow, I started my channel when I was like twenty, twenty-three. Ooh. Getting old, man. <laughs> Telling me, <laughs> I'm gonna have to start saying mid-thirties soon. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I'm late late twenties, mid-thirties. Wow. And then Christian, twenty-three years old, I think. God, that guy. Yeah. Hey, it's a good time to be young. The Zuckerbergs are helping us out. Young guys running big companies. That's true. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot is possible. I feel like you can do more in a shorter amount of time now because uh, the internet just offers so much leverage. I know. I think about that all the time. Is like if my dad ever wanted to like stay home with me and spend more time with the family, like he couldn't. He had to go work his big job. But like now, you can do so much on the internet, and that's what I'm looking to uh, looking to leverage. So. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Button Up Podcast for our June update. We have some great guests coming up uh, in the queue. We have, you know, when we interviewed uh, Huga, Eric Tomeo, um, I think he had like 18,000 subscribers. By the time that interview goes up, he's going to be at like 40 or 50 based on his growth rate. So uh, we had an interview coming up with him pretty soon and some other cool guests. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, Brock, I'll catch up with you pretty soon and talk to you for our July update. Sounds good. Talk to you later. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we'll see you next week.